Let's pray for our sermon time. Lord Jesus, your word is blessed. And as we enter into this time to talk about your divine revelation to all people, Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Lord, would we be a part of shining your light into a dark world? Would we be a part of making your name known to the ends of the earth? As your word says, I will make you as a light unto the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. May it be so in us and through us as a church Individually, collectively, would we proclaim you to the nations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Epiphany. I know that the Epiphany was yesterday. Technically, today is the first Sunday after the Epiphany, but we're observing the Epiphany. And today is the baptism of our Lord. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, in his first act of obedience to his Father, was baptized. Though he was sinless and did not need to be, he was obedient to, unto baptism. Well, we are called to obedience. We're called to be lights unto the nations. I will make you as a light unto the nation that my salvation to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's revealing of himself, his epiphany, his manifestation of himself was to the Gentiles, to not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles. As Paul says in Romans, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. Well, who are the Gentiles? Well, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So this Sunday, the Epiphany Sunday, should be good news for you, for all people. That salvation is for you. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, he revealed himself to smelly, stinky shepherds, Luke tells us. In Luke's gospel, the birth narrative, Luke is pairing couplets of men and women, poor and rich, throughout the gospel narrative of the birth narrative in chapters 1 and 2 of Luke. Think about it. You have the presentation of Jesus, Holy Family Day. And there, Jesus is presented first to Simeon and then to Anna, a, a priest and a prophetess. Think about the revelation to Zechariah that he's going to have a son and name him John, and then the revelation to Mary that she's going to bear a son. You get these pairings between male and female throughout Luke's gospel. And these revelations of Jesus continue. And in Matthew's gospel account, Matthew is writing his gospel to a Jewish audience. And he's showing that God not only reveals himself first to shepherds, but he also reveals himself to Gentiles. And so in Matthew's gospel, unique to Matthew's gospel are the kings, 
that come the kings. I'm going to put that in quote, three kings Sunday. I'll put that in quote because we don't know if they're kings. It's nowhere in the text. We don't know if there are three of them. We know there are three gifts. And so we assume there are three, but there could have been 30. There could have been 300, but they're often called the Magi. We know they're coming from the east. And just a quick orientation, if you look at the top of a map, a modern map, you'll see a compass point pointing to the north. In the first century, if you look at a map, if somebody draws you a map in the days of old, the compass point is going to point, do you know? East, yes, east. Why east? Why are people orienting their lives to the east? Because the sun rises from the east and it sets in the west and Malachi says from the rising of the sun to its setting my name shall be great among the nations when Adam and Eve sin against God they are banished east of Eden the tabernacle is oriented east the temple is oriented east so if we are going to come from our fallen direction, we are going to have to turn from our sinful ways and we come back from the east into the presence of God. And so all of society in the Jewish culture, all of the tribes of Israel were oriented around the tabernacle in the days of Moses which was oriented east, and everyone orchestrated their lives around God. And they came from the east into the tabernacle to offer sacrifices and to be made right with God. The epiphany is God's revelation to the Gentiles. These Gentile men come from the east now where are they coming from are they coming from babylon are they coming from modern day iraq or iran well most likely because they're bringing frankincense gold frankincense and myrrh frankincense and myrrh can be found from the saps of trees in arabia so the arabian peninsula if you look at the Holy Land with the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan Rift Valley, the Dead Sea, south and east, Arabia, around the Persian Sea, there, these wise men, these Arabs, are coming to worship Jesus, the King of the Jews. Another theory is that these men are from Babylon. And so they know about the prophet, the prophecies of Daniel, the major prophet, when the Israelites were exiled in Babylon in 586 B.C. They came back to settle the land after 70 years, and Daniel and Ezekiel and the prophets of the exile would have made Christ, made God's prophecy of the Messiah known to the people. We know these are educated men who study the stars, and we know they are very aware of the prophecies of the coming Jewish Messiah, the King. We know they are wealthy. 
because they have with them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know also that this, these gifts saved Jesus's life. If it wasn't for these Gentile wise men, these poor Mary and Joseph, these poor, this poor young couple would not be able to afford to flee to Egypt to escape the mad king Herod the Great's massacre of the innocents. You remember that? Before the massacre, Jesus is presented into the temple to be circumcised out of obedience to the law. His parents were obedient, and they offered two turtle doves, and Simeon held Jesus in his arms and said, Now your servant can depart in, my, in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And he told Mary that this baby is destined for the rise and the fall of many nations, of many people. He will be a light to the Gentiles. And then, of course, Mary and Joseph here to flee because Herod is going to slaughter the infants two years old and younger because the wise men do not come back to Herod. Remember, the wise men in our reading from today, they come and they're looking for the king of the Jews. These are foreigners coming into Judea, the land of Israel, and they are looking for the king of the Jews. Who is the king of the Jews? Well, that's a loaded question. It's Herod the Great believes that he's the king of the Jews. So if you have these, quote, three kings, these Gentile Magi coming to seek out the king of the Jews, and you're Herod, you're thinking, I'm the king of the Jews. So Herod, being the madman that he is, says, oh, you find him. You search diligently for the child, and when you find him, bring word to me, and I too will come and worship him. But they are, no, they, they are told not to return to Herod because Herod wants to kill the baby. So when the wise men go another way, think here civil disobedience to the king, he's in a rage. And this could be upwards of a year later. Now, there, there's some textual clues in the text. It says, when the wise men entered into the house... I don't mean, again, to destroy Christmas for you, but the, the idea that Mary and Joseph were born in, you know, Jesus was born in a barn with Mary and Joseph there with some animals is probably not the right picture. There was no room for them in the inn or the cataluma, the guest room. Mary, uh, if she's going to give birth, is going to make the people around her impure, so they most likely, the guest room is occupied because of the census and all the family are, are around, but because of radical and mandatory hospitality, the family would be required to show Mary and Joseph hospitality. So they let Mary and Joseph stay in the, where the animals stay, in the basement level of the home where the manger is inside the home where the animals are brought to keep the house warm. We see this in the text of Matthew. 
where Matthew says that the wise men come into the house, you see. It's not a contradiction. It's the context. They are in the animal pen in the home where the manger is kept and the animals are brought into the home. It's customary, and I showed you this two weeks ago. So I want to show you some slides here. This is a Greek inscription with the name of Herod. It says, in the days of Herod the king. Now this is archaeological proof as if you needed it of Herod the Great. Why do I say if you need it? Because Herod the Great was a, a builder. He built Masada, the mountaintop fortress, and I'm going to begin to, to show you some pictures. This is another amphora fragment. Now this is great. It says, in the days of Herod the king, an amphora is like uh, first century Tupperware. It's a, it's a huge jar where you store wine and oil and grain. And, and the, whole, the saying goes, what does Herod eat for breakfast? Anything he wants. He's king. And so he had with amphoras shipped to him. And in Masada, he had storerooms. And so the archaeology is great with Herod's name on it. Herod is in the coinage. He's in the pottery. And you can still today go to what he's built. The next slide will show you some of the coinage with Herod the Great. Herod, most likely he died around 4 AD. Most likely Jesus, BC, sorry. Jesus was born probably 7 BC, actually. And so when Herod the Great dies a few years later, Mary and Joseph come out of Egypt and settle back in Nazareth. And we get this timeline not only from Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian who writes uh, in detail about Herod, but we also get it from the archaeology. So this coin with Herod the Great was from 38 to 37 BC, and this is about when Herod the Great rebuilt the second temple and the Temple Mount to appease the Jews. Herod is an interesting guy because, get this, his mother was from Petra, and his father was from Arabia. Herod the Great is Arabian by race, and so are these wise men. The most likely location is mentioned in the east because of the frankincense and myrrh is Arabia. So you have three Arabians approaching an Arabian king asking where is the king of the Jews, which brings me to the next thing. If Herod's the king of the Jews, what religious background is Herod? Well, he's Jewish because his mother was practicing Judaism. But Herod is Jewish like Olive Garden is Italian. I am a, you, you get what I'm saying? So he is kind of by label, but he's not really authentic. Well, what kind of king is he? He's a Roman king. But he's also immersed in the Greek culture. So he's, he's, all, he's a secularist. He's a pluralist in his Greco-Roman culture. Politically, Herod is Roman, and he's a Roman puppet king for Caesar. 
And by the way, Caesar, you would have a little pinch of incense that you were required as a Roman citizen to pinch some incense, and you would say, Caesar is Lord. If Herod is king of the Jews and he's politically in power under Rome, what do you think Herod was doing? Caesar is Lord. But he was also claiming to be Jewish and rebuilt the temple. This is the Herod who built Masada, Machaerus, a palace in Jerusalem, a palace in Jericho, Caesarea Philippi, and the Herodian, the mountaintop fortress. Let's flip through these slides and you'll see that on the upper, the top, you can see these parallel lines. These are the storerooms on Masada. This is Herod's mountaintop fortress. I was just there in 2015. You can go there today. The next slide, you'll see Herod's uh, Caesarea Maritime. You can see the racing tracks. You can see the theater, and that theater would seat 5,000 people. It still stands today. The next slide, you will see Herod's palace in Jericho, where Herod died and where Herod most likely was when the wise men came. He was either there, I believe, or in the Herodium, which would be the next picture, I believe. Actually, this is some of the mosaics in Jerusalem in one of Herod's palaces. Here we see the ancient reliefs of the wise men who are coming to Herod. And these are Babylonian reliefs. And then the next, you see the camels coming. So Herod's mountaintop fortress was built so that he could keep an eye on the Jews. Why am I telling you all of this? Because there are three things that I want you to get today. Number one, God's salvation is for all people. God has revealed himself to Jew and Gentile alike, and God's salvation is for everyone, period, full stop. That's the first thing I want you to know. The second thing I want you to know is that we are called to be a part of bringing this light to the Gentiles. And we're called to worship God with all that we are. We are in an election year. We are in an election year. And Herod is putting his political power ahead of his relationship with God. How do I know? Well, the ancient Jewish historian Josephus, let me read you a, a quote from his work. Josephus writes that Herod the Great, the father of Herod Archelaus, was in Jericho at the time of his death. Just prior to his final trip to Jericho, he was deeply involved in a religious complication, a merger or syncretism. Herod had placed a golden eagle over the temple entrance, a symbol which was perceived by the Jews as being blasphemous. The Roman eagle was a symbol of a Roman legion, which was 3,000 to 6,000 Roman troops. When Herod rebuilt the Temple Mount, the north and the west corner of the Temple Mount was a fortress that had a Roman legion in it, which would come out onto the temple 
complex to squash a Jewish rebellion. The golden eagle that Herod put on the temple was a representation of this. It's almost like a state-run temple system. Committed, faithful Jews came into the temple complex, tore the golden eagle down, destroyed it with axes. Herod called them forward, and he asked them, he brought them into an arena and said, why did you do this? And they said, because this is idolatry, and we're committed to Yahweh, the one true God. Herod burned them alive after first lecturing them about how great he was for rebuilding the Temple Mount and giving the Jewish people their power. After that, Herod hired high priests who were in his pocket who would obey him and submit to his authority, who would not surpass his kingship. And when Herod's throne was threatened once again by these wise men saying, we're here to see the king of the Jews, Herod proceeded to slaughter the innocents, two years old and younger, to protect the power of his throne. Your identity, let me just look at a few things here. Herod was racially Arabian. He was culturally Greek. He was politically Roman. He was religiously Jewish. The question is, what did he lead with? He led with power. He led with seeing himself as king. He led with putting his political position before his dedication to God. In contrast to this guy who claims to be Jewish, Gentile wise men from Arabia come to worship the true king of the Jews. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And they choose civil disobedience to the king to preserve the life of the true king. These wise men and wise men still seek him today. I'm not going to tell you as your pastor who to vote for this election. But what I want to tell you is we must lead with our religious conviction and not our political party. We must lead with our religious our, our convictions and not our racial identity. We need to lead with our religious convictions and not 
our cultural identity. Not your race, not your culture, not your political party, but who is your king? Who is your true king? And put your allegiances there. The last point, how will you know that you're there? What treasures do you bring your king? Now, I could talk to you about money. We could do a tithing sermon. It's 10% in the sermon. But let me tell you this. It's better to look at your treasures more broadly. Certainly, you can take your balance and your checkbook and look at it. But I'd rather you see what treasures do you bring them. What is your gifts? What are your talents? And what do you bring your king this year? What do you bring him? Do you bring him your faithfulness? Do you bring him your... Are you going to stand up for him? Are you going to sell him out? Are you going to vote his values? The parallels of Herod um, killing the innocent to save his political position, well, you fill in the blanks. Look at what's happening in our world. Who is your king? That's what the story is about. That's what the ju juxtaposition of King Herod and King Jesus is about. Will you be like the wise men, or you, will you be like the king of the Jews? I offer you these words in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, help us to be a light to the nations. God, thank you for the example of these Gentile men who loved you first and put you first. Would we be obedient no matter what the cost and risk our, our lives, our talents, our resources, our time, our cultural identity, our racial identity, our political position to obey you first no matter what the cost. Lord, help us in a divided nation in an intense election year to see the true seat of power, a little baby lying in a manger, the king of the Jews, a light for the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.